Hear the reading of God's word from the prophet Isaiah. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. This is God's word. Wow, it's great to be back. It is great to see all of you, and <laughs> appreciate that. But um, and it's great to be here. I kind of checked myself the door. Like, is this this used to be September? Uh, this many people here. It, but this is July. I remember some July Sundays where I'd say, "Everybody get on the first two rows," and they, and and everyone would fit. Uh, but it's good to be here, and I'm so glad, uh, not only just to be here. Um, but to be here for this ordination service. I love to see officers, um, men becoming elders and leaders and deacons, and uh, that's, a, that's a privilege for me. Also, on the way in, we drove by the building and had not seen it. Seen a few pictures online, but uh, that was really exciting. So I uh, can't wait for this fall or winter, whenever uh, you're ready to dedicate it. We will be there for that. And uh, so looking forward to it. So um, why don't we stand for this reading of, uh, of God's Word. This is from Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens." But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This too is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. It's a privilege to read your word, to read the very words from the mouth of God. We pray that you'd help us now to understand it, learn to live by it, that it might be a delight to us, and that we might grow as those made in your image and redeemed in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. I want you to imagine a scenario, quick scenario. Imagine that you are coming out of a store on Main Street, and somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, man, I, I got to get to the next town, and, uh, and I'm walking there, and I, I don't want any money or anything, but I, I need you to walk with me for, for a mile. So just so I can get, start going the right way. And uh, that's it, just one mile, but you, ha- you have to do it. You've got to walk this with me. Now, what would you do? I imagine a lot of us would think, am I about to get kidnapped here? Uh, what's going on? Uh, but, but imagine that you knew the person and uh, maybe even trusted the person. But you, you might still wonder, should I walk with them? Should I call them an Uber? I mean, what? It's a weird scenario. I grant that. And, and maybe, how do we make that decision? Maybe that's the better question. I remember, you remember the, the key decision-making tool in the 90s. Remember? WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? Which is a hard, is a hard question for me to answer a lot of times because... There's a lot of things, a lot of situations that Jesus didn't face. I don't really know how he would answer, right? In the 90s, when I was looking at colleges, would Jesus have gone to UT or to Baylor or to Trinity or some other school? I don't know where he would. Well, we know he, would have gone, he wouldn't have gone to UT, right? <laughs> friends don't let friends become longhorns. But what? What would Jesus do? Well, interestingly, that scenario is actually one that Jesus talks about. He actually says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. What? And this is right after Jesus has talked about if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek. And if someone sues you for your tunic, give them your cloak, too. I don't know about you, those are weird instructions, aren't they? Like, we're letting sort of evil people win. We're we're not defending ourselves. It's got to be metaphorical, right? Well, I admit, those are hard passages. And, uh, and I actually, I, I oftentimes prefer to stay in the easier sections of the Bible. In fact, when I was in college, my favorite part of the Bible was Ephesians 2. This is, I, I, had a, I started a Christian band in college, and that's what I named it, Ephesians 2. It was a trio, but I didn't care. Because I was like, this is my version of the John 3.16 sign guy, right? I wanted people... To, to know that chapter. I wanted people to read it because it was so influential in my life. Um, the first ten verses of Ephesians 2. 
they're this wonderful summary of what the Bible teaches about salvation. Right? I would say, if you understand what Paul is talking about here, if you understand what's being said, you will understand more about how God works than, I don't know, 90, 95% of the world. He starts out in the first verse with this statement. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Well, that's kind of a startling statement. I used to be dead. And what he means is, right, naturally, in our natural state, we have no spiritual life in us. No true goodness, no relationship with the living God. And, uh, and you think, well, really? But then when you look at human history, you look at how people have treated one another through the centuries, well, that, maybe that verse makes a little more sense. The dearth of spirituality in people. But he goes on, right? He says, you, you followed the evil ways, the rulers of this world. Basically, before... You were on the side of you were on the bad side, right? You were following your worst instincts. You were deserving of judgment from a holy God. Martin Lloyd Jones has a pretty famous sermon where he preaches on this passage and he talks about he spends like 30 minutes talking about sin and our deep sinfulness, and he goes on and on about the depths of our depravity and example after example until you're listening to it and you're just you're starting to get de- depressed and have no hope for humanity. And then he pauses and he says in his British accent, but God, but God who is rich, in mercy. He loved us. He loved us. He made us alive in Christ. We were once dead, but God has made us alive in Christ. And He didn't even stop there with just making us alive. He gives us a home in heaven forever. And then, just in case we're fuzzy about what's going on, who the hero in this salvation story is those great verses that i memorized as a kid right he says by grace you've been saved through faith right you didn't deserve this grace you didn't you didn't earn this salvation this was a gift from god and uh so stop boasting right don't even think about taking credit for it and then in case we get too unbalanced, and he says, no, just because you didn't earn it doesn't mean there's nothing for you to do. And then he goes on and says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Wow. Ten verses. The story of salvation. Right? There's so much there. Sin, spiritual warfare, regeneration, justification, sanctification, glorification. Uh, faith, hope, love. There's so much in those verses. And I love those ten verses. And, but I, I usually stop there. Because then, verses 11 to 22, they, to be honest, they get pretty technical and 
they're kind of a letdown from there. I mean, let's be honest, right? You're talking about circumcision and flesh and what? That's not as, it's not as gripping. It's not as poetic. It's not as dramatic as the first ten verses. Um, but recently I've started reading the rest of the chapter. And it wasn't until a few years ago that I really started to figure out what Paul was doing here in the rest of these, in, in verses 11 to 22. And it, and it shocked me a little bit, but then it made me love this chapter again. And this time the whole chapter, not just the beginning, right? Um, and what I think Paul is doing here is, I think he is going the extra mile. He's going the extra mile for the people who really need it. And we're going to talk about two things today. I want to uh, hope to show you that how Paul and Jesus and the apostles went the extra mile to include outsiders. And then follow up that with how we are also called to go the extra mile. So, one of the biggest issues in the New Testament is the issue of how there are two groups, two main groups in the church, and how they are supposed to get together, how they can become one group. Um, and and the, the, the groups, of course, are the Jews and the Gentiles, right? And Gentiles is that sort of word that Jews had for everyone who's not Jewish, right? Everyone else. And, uh, and the interesting thing about the Jewish people was, in the world at that time, in the first century, they were a, a minority, right? They were very much a small people group among much, much larger groups. But in the church, in the first century church, they were the majority. Right? They were the majority religious group. In fact, the object of their worship, Jesus himself was Jewish. And Paul and all the other apostles, who were basically all Jewish, then become concerned. Almost, when you read the, the letters of the New Testament, almost obsessed with this question of how do we treat the Gentiles who have become believers, right? This is all within the church, all within, within Christ. How do, we, how do we live together? How do we worship together? How do we do holidays together, right? All of these questions that come up. There are whole books in the New Testament written about these questions. And so let's, let's try to find out what, what, what Paul is doing here, right? After that great summary of salvation, verses 1 to 10, it looks like he's just giving another summary of salvation. Look, verse 11, he says, Remember at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, and then down to 12, Remember, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. A lot of the same themes, right? As the first half. Sin. Separation from God. Following after the world. And then, salvation having peace with God and hope. 
it's, it seems like Paul's just saying some of the same things in slightly different words, maybe slightly different metaphor, but, but there's a difference here, isn't there, in these verses. The difference is the audience. The first ten verses are addressed to all Christians, right? And the, the book, of course, is addressed to believers in the church in Ephesus. So, so this is for all Christians. This is how God works to save you. But here, the audience, he specifies. What does he say? He says, remember you Gentiles. Let me speak specifically. Sometimes pastors do that, right? They, they speak specifically to a group, hopefully not to individual people, uh, but specifically to some group of people. And Paul does this, you, you Gentiles. See, I think what Paul's doing is he's not just restating how salvation works. He's doing something much subtler, and I think really beautiful. He is going overboard to make sure the Gentiles know that they, as the religious minority in the church, are included. They are equal. They are just the same as the majority group. right? I think Paul is so afraid that they will feel left out that he directly addresses them and takes pains to make them know, you are one of us. Right? You're one of us. Our backgrounds may be very different. I want you to know you're included. Why is he doing this? Well, think about this. When we used to live in Stillwater, we sent one of my daughters off to camp for the first time. And, uh, and at this camp, they, they sort of divide the campers for the whole week by cabin, right? And the cabin gets a couple counselors assigned to them, and, um, and then they come up, they do all the activities together with their same cabin. And, and in my daughter's cabin was a group of, ironically, five Tulsa kids, five Jenks kids, which my kids go to Jenks now, which is funny, because these five kids had grown up together, right? They all knew each other. They had been coming to this camp for years. The counselors knew them. The counselors loved them. And so when it was time to write the slogan and come up with the cheer for this cabin, guess whose ideas got listened to? Not the Stillwater girl, right? And all week, it was similar. She felt often left out. And they didn't try to do that, right? They never said, hey, stay away from us, right? They didn't. But they never really invited her to do stuff. And she tried, but they already had their group, right? They didn't really need any more than that. See, when, when you're in the minority, it's hard to fit in with the majority group. Right? You'll always feel like less than unless the majority goes out of their way to include you. And this is true in the church. Right? And Paul knows this. He knows the Gentiles, they've been on the outside of God's people. Right? He sort of recounts their history there. Starting in verse 11, you're, he knows that they've been called derisive names, like the uncircumcision. Right? Because they didn't know, they didn't grow up knowing about the promises made to Abraham and David, if they even knew who those guys were, right? 
They didn't know about the law in the Old Testament and the nuances of that law, which really every eight-year-old Jewish kid would, would know, right? And, and when they would go to the temple in Jerusalem, they weren't even allowed in. They were only allowed to be in the court of the Gentiles. It was literally called that. If they tried to get into the temple, they might be killed. So there were walls, definite walls up all along. And Paul knows that, right? But what happened? But then, but God. Then Jesus came. And in verse 13, Paul says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Again, he wants them to know you're in. You're no longer strangers or aliens. You're family. There's no longer, he uses this, this metaphor, there's no longer two people, there's one new man. There's there no longer labels, Jewish believers, Gentile believers, there's just believers, just Christians. And to the Gentiles who believed in Jesus, this must have been wonderful knowledge. But sometimes experience is different from knowledge, isn't it? I mean, after all, we know from books like Galatians that the Jewish believers still had a hard time. Still had a hard time accepting the people they had been trained most of their lives to exclude. Right? They were so used to being special, so used to being the insiders, that they didn't know how to include the outsiders. And Paul takes a very edgy tone in the book of Galatians to tell them how wrong they are. We experienced this a little bit in our country. Back in 1954, when when the court case of Brown versus the Topeka Board of Education, the law became that schools have to be integrated, right? That was the law. Didn't mean everybody had to like it. And certainly some in the majority did not like that, right? In fact, it took some school districts in the South till the 1970s really to integrate. And so as Paul saying, both so the Gentiles will hear, but also so that his Jewish brothers and sisters will hear. There's equality here. We are all one. And this is a point of emphasis. Now, Jesus, Jesus didn't just teach this, right? Jesus lived this. He lived this. Jesus went the extra mile to include us. In fact, he went a lot further than a mile, didn't he? I mean, he took the longest journey imaginable. Because Jesus could have stayed up in heaven, right? He could have looked down at us dead in our trespasses and sins far from God, separated from God. He could have just looked down and said, well, you know, you're welcome to come up here if you can make it. You know, if you get here someday, I'll welcome you. He didn't do that, though, did he? Jesus 
became, he gave up his throne, gave up his glory, became one of us to die for us, to make us into the family of God. He lived this expression of going the extra mile. And Jesus and his apostles went the extra mile for the outsider. And now he calls us to go the extra mile as well. What is our job as a church? Sometimes we, as, as church leaders, as churches, we, 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 it's good to stop and ask that question. What is our job as a church? And, and that's a huge question, right? And there's a lot of answers to it. But maybe a simple answer, our job as the church is to continue what Jesus began. And the New Testament even talks about it as we are finishing the work that Jesus did. In one sense, it was completely finished on the cross, but in another sense, we are carrying out and doing the same things that Jesus did. And so, all the things that Jesus does in this passage, we, we ought to think about as what we can be doing, right? Verse 14 he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Must we, our job is to break down any dividing walls of hostility in the church. He came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. We also need to preach peace to those who are far from Christ and near to Him. Right? Jesus made aliens and strangers His friends. So should we as well. What does that look like, though? What does that look like practically? Well, I want to suggest three ways that we can do this. So we can go the extra mile to include outsiders. Yeah, the first way is to befriend the poor. Now, a lot of churches want to do outreach to the poor. Right? They want to, to carry out what the Bible calls us to do, to have concern and care for the poor. But often, the method is often either one of a handout or of an exchange, right? A handout, I see what you don't have, and let me see if I can give it to you, right? And then, and then the other hand, maybe an exchange, right? Here, we'll make a meal for you, but you need to listen to our preaching. What if, though, what if our approach to the poor was one of friendship? What if it was to say, I want to know you. Not just your problems, not just where you may lack, but I want to know you, right? Rather than just try to fix you or make you like me, to know that we're equal in God's eyes and we ought to be equal in the church. Too often the church often becomes the preference of the wealthy. What if, what if we went out of our way to include and befriend the poor? Second way I want to suggest is to warmly welcome the ethnic minority. When I was in high school, 
my youth pastor took a group of us to an inner city church. And uh, when we got there, we walked in and we realized right away we were the minority. We were the only white people in an all-black church, right? And imagine, imagine how we would have felt if you know, pe- people kind of looked at us and said, well, you know, you guys, are, you guys can come in, but don't touch anything and don't change anything, right? Wouldn't have felt very welcome, would we? That's not what happened, though. Number, groups of them came over. Oh, we're so glad you're here. They were hugging us, right? Asking us to sit down with them. In our denomination, we have over 4,700 ordained pastors. 4,700. Now, about 600 of those are Korean pastors. Less than 100 of them are Hispanic, Latino, or African American. Less than 100 out of 4,700. It is no wonder that one pastor, Jamar Tisby, said, as a black person in an overwhelmingly white branch of the church, I have to constantly evaluate whether I'm truly welcome here or not. That's why we as a church... We have to say more than just, well, you know, our doors are open to anyone, right? Everyone's, of course, welcome. We have to go the extra mile and say, I'm so glad you're here. Would you sit by me? You are one of us, right? This is why we spent time a couple years ago as a denomination confessing the sins of racism in our denomination, right? Um, because we knew we needed to go the extra mile, as much as it took. That's why we've spent time, I've spent time, uh, with, with helping our friend Raul get ordained and help plant a church in Tulsa, and why we've, we've basically opened our checkbooks and said, what will it take to get Hispanic and Latinos to come to your church and to the denomination and to build a church like that? Third way to go the extra mile is to encourage the theological beginner. Again, our denomination, we put a high premium on knowing theology, right? And it can be extremely intimidating for someone who's never really studied theology, right? We didn't grow up in the church, whether they're Christians or not, And, and when we make them feel dumb for not knowing all the ins and outs of predestination, imputation, and those $5 words. Right? We're, we're, whether we mean to or not, the message gets communicated. You're still kind of on the outside, right? We need to encourage everyone where they are. Right? Not dumb down our theology at all, right? but not set up a hierarchy based on theology or knowledge, right? Uh, The church is the only institution that is the upside-down triangle. You know, most most corporate uh, work charts or whatever, it's, it's a triangle, right? You start at the bottom where everybody starts, the most people start, and as you go up, you know, there's only one person at the top, the CEO or president, right? And, and the people below him serve. The church is the opposite. The church is an upside-down triangle. 
the people who come in at the first are the most welcome, the most served. As you grow, as you grow in your faith, as you become more mature, you move down the ladder and you serve those above you. I'm convinced that the church that stops going the extra mile for the outsider begins to start to die. Uh, Because when we stop doing ministry the way Jesus and his apostles did it, we stop growing. I remember I went on vacation once and went to a church I'd never been to before, and I got there a little early. That's what visitors do. They get there early, right? And I found a pew to sit in, and I was preparing for worship. And right before we were about to start, I got a tap on the shoulder. And I looked over, and the man said, you're sitting in my pew. That is one sign of a dying church. When I'm more concerned about my insider status, my comfort level, than about welcoming the outsider. It's not good news. I want to go from preaching to meddling a little bit. Brent and Brent and Billy and Charles, you guys are you guys are getting ordained or installed today as leaders. And that's exciting, and I'm, I'm so glad to be here for this. In some sense, you've sort of made it, right, into the club. You get to go to meetings that other people don't get to go to, right? But please don't look at this as the time when you have now arrived and people need to serve you. Now this is the time when you you really get to start to serve. You can use your position, your influence to help those who don't have it. Right? We go let meddle a little more. Uh, when we get when you get into that building in a few months, right? It's going to be fantastic, right? But then there's going to be all these new people that come, right? And after a few months, maybe a year. Those people are going to act like, this is, this is my church. And, and the natural inclination for some of us is going to be like, wait, what? You, you never helped set up chairs at Westwood. You never gave money for this church. This, this is my church. You can't just come in and tell me what carpet what you put in, right? Don't you do it, right? This is not our church. This is Jesus' church. We need to go the extra mile to make people feel welcome, make them know that now in Christ Jesus, you once were far off, but you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are we're grateful that in our hour of need, in fact, in our many hours of need, you do not leave us to figure out our own solutions. You don't leave us to fix ourselves, but you come to us, you have befriended us, and you are doing so much more than we could ever ask or imagine in our lives. Your love is wider than the widest ocean and uh, we can hardly fathom it we pray father that you would 
well up in us that kind of love for others, for the outsider, for those who are not part of us, that we might have a zeal, that they might become a part of the family. Father, that like Paul who once said that if his brothers did not come to know you, that he would rather be cut off and go to hell than have them not come. Father, may we have that kind of love, zeal, and compassion. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.